observing the day of Pentecost today, and um, you know we are entering difficult times. Uh, recently, somebody sent an article recently from uh, Forbes, uh, quoting the CEO of J.P. Morgan named Jamie Dimon, and uh, it. The article reads this, at an investor conference on Wednesday, this is just this past week, Damone said that a hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. We don't know if it's a minor one or Superstorm Sandy. You better brace yourself. He's meaning an economic hurricane. That's what he's talking about. The article says, this is not what you want to hear from an experienced, sober, serious-minded executive who has seen his fair share of booms and busts over the many decades working in banking and finance. The message is clear, cut costs and buckle up, as Americans may be in for a wild ride signaling an end to the booming era. Now, I didn't know we were in a booming era, uh, did you? But apparently, whatever it has been in recent times, it's going to get worse. And that's what they're expecting. We are seeing prophecy unfold right before our eyes. We're seeing what we've been learning about and hearing about for decades. Those who have been in the church of God for some time. uh, Knowing that our Western world is headed for disaster And yet we are faced with living through it, living in it, facing it day by day as we begin to experience some of these things. It affects us personally, even in our our wallet. We're seeing the prices go up. We're seeing the budgets get tighter. We're seeing even food shortages. And it can be discouraging and disheartening, especially if we are suffering trials, as we heard there are a number who are suffering trials or health issues or personal trials, some very, very severe. And uh, certainly as the curses on our society trickle down, we are going to suffer through some of those as well. I'd like to address something I think all of us face from time to time. When you feel like you're pedaling as fast as you can, and you're not getting anywhere. Or maybe even drifting backwards. You're doing everything you think you should do, but you don't seem to be making any headway, maybe even slipping. And as we talk about the day of Pentecost, I want to ask a question. When you're overwhelmed, when you feel like you're not making any progress, especially as the stresses and trials and, and pressures of our world come upon us, I'd like to suggest that we do one simple thing. Move the fulcrum. Move the fulcrum. Now, what in the world does that mean? Let's talk about science just for a moment. <clears throat> Go back to uh, about fifth grade or so. I think that's when we... Learned this uh, in science. Remember uh, about simple machines. Remember learning about some of the things that, uh, like levers. Remember learning about what a lever is? Uh, Out on the playground, we saw examples of it. A lever is a a seesaw, a teeter-totter, whatever whatever you called them uh, growing up. Uh, You know, a lever is a, a bar that has a fulcrum in the middle. And out on the playground, if you are on a teeter-totter or a seesaw, it's roughly balanced. And, and uh, one kid goes on one end and another kid goes on the other. And you, you hope they're fairly close in weight. Uh, otherwise, it's not very fun. Uh, but if they are close in weight, then you, you, know, you can go up and down based on the, the movement on the fulcrum. A lever is a, a bar that's placed on a fulcrum. And the fulcrum is the, the, the moving point, the anchor point. But what is amazing about a lever is as you move the fulcrum to one end, if you're operating, if you're moving the other end, you are increasing your power. 
And if I'm not mistaken, and if there may be some engineers in the, in the room that can correct me, but if I'm not mistaken, if you move the fulcrum, if it's in the middle and you move it halfway to the, to one end, you double your power from the other end, if you're operating the other end. If you move it a halfway again to the end, you double it again. So you wind up putting and expending the same amount of effort on this side, and you have four times the force on this end. Brethren, can the same apply in our life? Is there a way to multiply our efforts by moving the fulcrum in our life? And I submit to you, there is a way. And I think you know where I'm going with this. On the day of Pentecost, what is the secret to moving the fulcrum? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives. This day, 31 AD, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and suddenly the church was empowered with a power that they had not seen before. And we'll talk about that. In a little bit. Wouldn't it be nice to have in our lives an ability to multiply our efforts, especially at a time as we are approaching and beginning to be in, in a time when resources are often lesser, less and less. And yet we can multiply our efforts. It's called the Holy Spirit. We have access to it. We have possession of it. It's powerful, dynamic. And it can help us multiply our efforts as we navigate this life in a, in a difficult age. But we have to move the fulcrum. If you want a title for this sermon, it's simply that. Move the fulcrum. Move the fulcrum. Now, let me give you a concrete example so you know exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> if you have a uh, rock in the ground, if you've ever had to, had to get, a, get a big rock out of the ground, not in your yard, not a small one, but a big one that's really stuck really deep. What do you do? You can't just tap at it with a spoon or something. You know, you, you need a, you need a bar, a pry bar, right? So you go to Home Depot and you get yourself a bar and you, you drive that bar into the ground right next to the rock and just so that it'll get a little bit of a purchase on, on one edge of it. And then you start trying to pry it out, right? Well, if, if it's really lodged in the gra- ground, that doesn't work so well. So what do you do? You get another rock or a piece of wood or something hard and firm, and you put that rock on the ground close to the big rock under the bar, and suddenly you're expending the same amount of effort, and you can move the rock. This is what we're talking about. This is amazing. It's an amazing process and it's an amazing force that is at our disposal in life and in our physical life. The question is, are we using that in our spiritual life? Are we moving the fulcrum? John 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. We're not going to talk about today how this is not a person, uh, it's, it's the, the spirit, it's the power of God, it, it, the grammar makes it look like a person, but uh, with a, a little uh, look into the grammar, clearly uh, it's just a grammatical thing. It doesn't not mean that it, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's the power of God. It's poured out. It's, it's typified as being like fire or water or oil. It's the power of God. And, and Christ promised that he would send that power. And notice over in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, here we, we see a description of what happened on the day of Pentecost. After Christ's death, after his resurrection, it says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them uh, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And here we see a description of what the disciples were doing, what the apostles were doing after the Spirit was poured out. And we see a description of the Apostle Peter, for example, and how just a few weeks after denying Christ, he became a different person, didn't he? Because he was challenging those same people that were responsible for killing Christ. And yet he said, you are the ones who killed the Messiah. Brethren, would you say the Holy Spirit enabled the fulcrum to move in Peter's life to where he became a different person just in a matter of weeks? Can that happen to us? Is it happening to us? 2 Timothy chapter chapter 1 and verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes, Therefore, uh, writing to Timothy, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Holy Spirit gives us power and gives us love and of a sound mind that we would not have otherwise. It moves the fulcrum in our life. It changes us. But we have to stir it up. We have to do something. Mr. Meekin recently, Mr. John Meekin, wrote an article in the Living Church News about this. Uh, he, he writes, The meaning of stir up comes as something of a surprise. The Amplified Bible, classic edition, uh, helpfully translates 2 Timothy 1.6 as follows. Quote, that is why I would remind you to stir up or rekindle the embers of or fan the flame of and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying out of my hands. End quote. The Greek word Paul uses metaphorically for stir is anazopereo and means to kindle afresh or keep in full flame. In Vine's complete expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words, we read, The gift of God is regarded as a fire capable of dying out through neglect. Paul is likening God's gift of the Holy Spirit to an inner fire that ought to burn strongly and powerfully within each of us. It will produce the fruit of the Spirit and the good works that God expects from us. So the question for each of us today is, Are we moving the fulcrum in our life? If not, how do we do it? We have at our disposal the means to. But are we moving that fulcrum? Are we stirring up the fire? You know, sometimes we fall into patterns or habits that not only do we not move the fulcrum in the positive way, but we actually let it slip the other way, and we actually lose power. You ever try prying something out of the ground by moving the fulcrum even further to the side you're, you're handling, and you actually diminish your power by a multiplied effect? That can happen in our life, too. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> At one point in my life, I, I remember I sort of fell into a pattern. Isn't it funny how, you know, all the all the bad habits we have, we, we just sort of fall into. We don't do them on purpose. We don't just think, I'm going to get into a negative pattern today. No, they just sort of happen. And I remember there was a, a pattern that I fell into of watching a certain TV show that was late, maybe 10, 10 to 11 o'clock. And, you know, it was, a, it was a police drama, courtroom drama, that sort of thing, crime drama. Very interesting show. Uh, but uh, I, I just wanted to unwind and sort of turn off my brain toward the end of the day, and I, I, I started watching this show. And uh, very interesting, exciting show, interesting plot lines, well put together. 
The only problem was I found when it was over, I'd get ready for bed. And I think I may have told this story here before, but I'd get ready for bed and I'd kneel down to pray. And when I'd pray, what would I see in my mind's eye? Well, people shooting each other, you know, car chases and courtroom debates and and all the crime stuff that I'd been watching on TV. It was being replayed in my mind as I was trying to pray. So I had to work extra hard to get that stuff out of my mind just so I could I could pray. Not only that, I wasn't really relaxed going to bed because it was an exciting show. So I was kind of amped up and excited. The adrenaline was pumping. And so it took me a long time to fall asleep. Not only that, staying up late watching TV, what happens next? Well, you get hungry. And you usually don't get hungry for broccoli and carrots, do you? No, it's the, uh, it's the greasy food group uh, snack type, right? And it's not healthy. It's kind of bad for you. Uh, not only that, it wasn't just that night because I was tired the next day because I had wound up staying up too late the night before. Not only that, it affected my prayer life the next day. If I went to sleep, if I fell asleep without praying, I woke up the next morning and then tried to pray. And those scenes were still being replayed in my mind. I still saw the car chases. I still saw the the shooting. I still saw the courtroom drama in my mind the next morning. And still had to push that away. Not only that, but once you do it a few times, you start to anticipate this is going to be fun again. And so the next night, you look forward to watching that show and And they do everything they can to tempt you to watch it again the next day. So there came a day when I asked myself, what am I doing? I've just decided to watch this show to unwind. And there are four or five negative effects coming from that one action. I'm losing power. I'm moving the fulcrum in the wrong direction. I think there was there was even a, a sermon that was given around that time that I recall by, by a, a minister who said, you know, there are times when you just need to cut the cord, turn off the TV, get rid of the TV. And I thought to myself, hmm, you know, I may be slow, but I can get the point. And what a dramatic change in my life, at least in, in those four or five ways, when I just didn't watch that show, which was designed to help me to unwind. Now, maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not what you've done. But I think from time to time, in one way or another, brethren, do we find ourselves doing things that we seem to want, but actually are counterproductive to our goals and counterproductive to what we have professed to believe and what we have promised to God that we're going to do. And yet the, the things we do, the habits we do, actually pull us back and move the fulcrum in the wrong way. I think part of growing up, part of maturing, part of becoming an effective Christian in our lives is becoming sensitive to notice the things that hold us back. And frankly, multiply negative effects in our life and eliminate those and be sensitive to the things that, wow, if I do this thing, I'm going to multiply good effects in my life and start to put those into action. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15 says, A good understanding understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. You know, oftentimes the, at, at first, the, the way of sin or the way of, of the world, the way of the flesh, the way of just normal human carnal nature, it seems good, it seems sweet, it seems positive, it seems pleasant. But how many times does it wind up being hard? Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. The point is we can make it harder on ourselves and it really needs to be. So again, 
How can we gain more leverage? How can we move the fulcrum in our life using the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about some strategies. Number one, number one, be teachable. Be teachable. Are there areas in our life where we, we just aren't seeming to make any headway? And the question we have to ask is, how much are we asking God for help? How much are we really wanting God to teach us how to navigate in our life better? John chapter 14 and verse 25. John 14 and verse 25. Again, this is speaking of some of the things that Jesus was saying just before he he died to his disciples. And so helpful for us and so meaningful even in speaking about on the day of Pentecost, speaking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. John 14, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all things that I said to you. I believe Mr. Ames spoke uh, about some of these things uh, yesterday, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hopefully... I will touch on some of the other aspects of different ways that it can help us in our life. The Holy Spirit is specifically listed as a vehicle through which God teaches us. And isn't it true, one of the hardest things in life is to admit you can't do something. You know, I think we all can remember this as a child or we can... relate to this in watching small children sometimes when they want to do something so bad. They want to do it by themselves. You know, they want to tie their shoes. I can do it by myself. And maybe they haven't quite learned how to do it yet. And you want to show them. You want to teach them. No, do it this way. This is is a better way. No, I can do it by myself. (laughs) And it takes a while for them to, and they get frustrated And they get irritated and annoyed, and it takes a while for them to say, okay, daddy help me, mommy help me. Isn't that the way we are sometimes? And that's a huge roadblock to moving the fulcrum. Just being being willing to be uh, taught is a huge way we can move the fulcrum in the right direction. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. The helper. Isn't that interesting? The English word is the helper. Something that is God enables to help us in our life. It's really God. It's power. His his power. He's willing to help. But how often do we ask for his help in our life? You know, why is it so important to be spending time with God in prayer and Bible study? Well, because that's how God teaches us. That's how he talks to us about our problems, about our challenges, about our needs, what we need, how we can address the struggles and challenges of our life. But unless we open the book, unless we take the time to pray and read our Bibles, then we're not going to be taught. And how many time wasters, how many distractions and distractors are there in our lives today. Far more than just TV about 20 years ago, right? Far more than just a show that would be on from 10 to 11. Now you have, you can find anything you want 24-7, any time of day or night, non-stop. Now, am I saying that these devices are evil? No. But am I saying if this device gets in the way of me taking the time to pray and study on a regular basis in the morning, in the evening, if this gets in the way of that, yes, it's evil. Yes, it's something that we need to get control of. And, you know, we might tell God, I want to learn from you. I want to be taught from you. But if we're allowing a distraction... By choice, we make the choice. If we're allowing the distraction to keep us from opening our Bible, keep us from spending time with God, we don't really mean that we want to be taught. 
We don't really mean it. How do we move the fulcrum? By proving to God we want him to teach us. And a very simple thing is every day in listening to him and talking to him through prayer and Bible study. Turn over to Luke chapter 12 and verse 11. Luke chapter 12 and verse 11. It's interesting how Christ told his disciples he would bring things to their remembrance. The Holy Spirit would bring things to their remembrance. But you know, if it's not in there in the first place, you can't recall it. If we're not putting it in our brain first, he's he's not going to just pop it in our head. He's going to help us remember it if we are putting it in our head. Luke chapter 12, verse 11, a classic example of this. Uh, it says, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, we can, we can rest assured if we are in difficult situations someday, if we are called before a draft board as a young person perhaps, or if we are, uh, you know, have to come before a teacher and explain why we want off for the holy days or, or a boss, or any other number of ways. As a young person, you know, sometimes you worry about what am I going to say if I'm put on the spot about what I believe? Well, you don't have to worry because if you're reading your Bible, if you're praying to God on a regular basis, He's going to put the thing, the right thing in your head at the time and He'll help you what to say. The point is, if we are willing to be taught, then Christ is willing to teach us. And he'll do it through the Holy Spirit, and he'll move the fulcrum. And it'll make a dramatic difference in our life. How else can we move the fulcrum? Number two. Number two. Get to know the real Christ. Get to know the real Christ. Christ. Let's turn over to John chapter 15 and verse 26. John chapter 15 and verse 26. It says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So what does this mean? And why is it important that he will testify or it will testify of me that the Holy Spirit would testify of Christ? Well, we need a true understanding of who Christ really is. And the world gets that all wrong. They think that he is a weak, long-haired you know, wimp who came to do away with his father's law. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's interesting when you look over in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1. We find out who Christ really is. It says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing that was made that was made. So we find out the Word was actually at the beginning. The Word was a God being with the Father. The Word created everything we see. Verse 10, just in case there's any confusion about who this is talking about, He was in the world, the word, world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. So who was Christ? He was the one who created us. He was the one who created mankind, who fashioned and molded the first human being, who made Eve from the rib of Adam, who said, let there be light, and there was light. How important is that, that we understand who Christ really is, who our Lord and Master really is, our Savior, is our Creator too. 
You know, sometimes our young people wrestle with the questions of, is there really a God? And how can I know? Is he real? And these are fundamental questions, and they do wrestle with them, and they need to wrestle with them. It's just a matter of where do they find the answers. They're not going to find them out in the world. They're not going to find them from the skeptics and the scoffers. You know, if you are a young person and you're in that situation, you need to ask yourself these questions. And you need to ask yourself, if there isn't a God, how did I get here? If there isn't a God, how did the first human beings get here? If there isn't a God, how did the universe itself begin to exist? You know, because the evolutionists have all kinds of arguments, but they never approach the argument of origins. Because they know they have no argument. The best one that they can come up with that one prominent evolutionist some years ago uh, talked about, is, well, maybe aliens seeded the planet. Really? That's the best scientific argument you can come up with? So, young people, as you grapple with these questions, as you wrestle with them, the point is, don't pull away from God. Don't pull away from the source. Don't let skeptics and scoffers be your guides. Remember, they are people. And they have opinions. And their opinions are like everybody else's opinions. They really don't know any better than you. You need to ask God for answers. Ask Him to show you. Ask Him to teach you. And remember that God not only wants you to understand He exists, He wants you to know He loves you and cares for you. You know, evolutionary, evolution does not offer that, does it? Evolution offers a very cold and hard purpose or non-purpose of life. But God offers us an understanding of why we're here. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Not only that, when we understand who Christ is, we began to understand through His Holy Spirit, He is willing to live in us. He is willing to do the heavy lifting for us. He is willing to move that fulcrum. You know, if He created, as we heard in the offertory, the stars and the the sun and the moon and the planets, if He created all of those things, don't you think He knows how to move a rock in the ground? Going back to our original analogy. And if he's living in us, don't you think he can empower us to do the hard things in our life? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, should be of the Son of God. Let's look in a... Any reputable source, interlinear, it should be of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, brethren, how many of us are struggling under difficult burdens to carry in one way or another? Struggling under guilt, perhaps, or in trials, or difficulties, or conflicted relationships, And maybe we know Christ, maybe we know who he is, maybe we've dedicated our life to him, we have a relationship with him, but maybe we sometimes forget that he lives in us. He lives in us, and he will work in us to help us get through whatever we need to get through, through his power, his faith, his strength. That's leverage when God himself is actually in you in doing the work. One, one more, number three. Number three, how to move the fulcrum. Embrace the work that God is doing through his spirit. Embrace the work God is doing through his spirit. 
John chapter 16 and verse 17. Notice. John chapter 16 and verse 17. John chapter 16 and, I'm sorry, verse 7, verse 7. Jesus says um, in verse 6, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, what does this mean? Let's stop and think about it for a moment. He was talking about sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. How does that happen, or what does that mean? You know, at any point in time, in any generation throughout history, for centuries, for millennial, millennia, whenever there has been a, a society that was headed for disaster, God always sent someone to warn them. God always sent a messenger, and it was a human messenger. He always used his servants to let people know what's coming. Is it any different today? What's the mechanism that God is using to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment? In other words, telling them what sin is. How many people today have no idea what sin is? Because even a a basic understanding of the Bible has been stripped away. How many people today have no idea what righteousness really is? Well, they have their own personal concept. They have their own truth, so to speak. But they don't know what it really is. They need to be taught. Someone needs to tell them. How many people today understand why a coming judgment is on our horizon? They need to be told. And brethren... We are the people that are getting that message out. And it's through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers the work to be done. Now, let's go back to our metaphor of uh, moving a rock in the ground with a a lever. You know, we talked about moving the, the fulcrum closer to the rock so our lives work better, we function better, we're able to manage and navigate through our lives But when we think about it, let's get a bigger perspective. I remember when I was, when the years ago, when the church was going through an apostasy and a very discouraging time for me. I was a young adult figuring out what direction I would go, whether I would continue following the truth of the Bible or or follow other voices who were showing a different way. And I remember coming across an old recording of Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, and it was entitled, Why the First Fruits? Why the First Fruits? And he explained in there why we are being called today. That it's not just for our own salvation. It's not just so we can grow as a person. It's not just so we can navigate through our lives better. It's because we are called to do a work. We are called for a mission. We are called to preach the gospel to the world in this end time. And wow, that opened my eyes and it changed me and it helped me and it helped me to cut through the clutter of the time of a very, very difficult and dark time in in my life. It moved the fulcrum for me. Now think about it. So we're talking about this rock In the ground. Now, today there are some people who believe, well, the work of the church should be in in getting all the groups together. And bringing all the fellowships of the churches of God together. 
Well, that's not the work that we see outlined in the Scripture. That's not the work that the Holy Spirit is doing of convicting the world of sin, convicting the world of righteousness, and convicting the world of judgment. And so in in one respect, it's sort of like saying, well, God, I don't want to pry that rock out of the ground. I want to go over and pry a different rock out of the ground. I don't like that work that you're doing, that you're involved in. I, I want to say the work is actually over here or maybe over there. And I want to do something else. Is God pleased by that when we don't follow what it says the Holy Spirit is doing? The work of the church today is not to bring the fellowships together. And I think particularly for young people, this is a, this is a challenge and it's a very seductive argument that we can be tripped up on if we're not careful. If we're not really keeping our noses in the Bible and what is God doing and what is His Holy Spirit doing? Because you know what? The, all the fellowships, the churches of God are not on the same page do not have the same perspective, do not believe in the same doctrines or have the same practices. We need to be involved in what God is involved in. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. Notice something very interesting here. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. This is before the giving of the Holy Spirit. It explains why the Holy Spirit was going to be given. Let's start in verse 4. It says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You notice right in the same context of receiving power, why did they get that power? Not just for their own personal growth and benefit. Yes, that is part of it. But primarily so they could take the gospel to the world. Brethren, why have we been given this power to be involved in the work that God is involved in? Notice in John chapter 4 and verse 31. Now, before we do that, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 and verse 15. This is the statute about the, uh, the day of Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits, as it was called back in the Old Testament times. Leviticus 23 and verse 15, You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, and that occurred right after Passover, so they're counting from Passover forward, uh, several days after Passover, Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Verse 17, you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths two of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Now, we don't offer the sacrifices today. We don't bring the, 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 the grain offerings today. But this is talking about first fruits. This is the Feast of First Fruits. It's talking about the church. It's talking about those who are being called today. Verse 21, And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Now let's go over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus was talking to the woman of Samaria. And the disciples had gone into the city to get bread. You know the story. When they came back, verse 31, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And they looked at one another. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They were the ones who were uh, commissioned to get food. So this was very confusing. 
And he said to them, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Now, what the indication is, is it was still months before the harvest at that time. And yet some commentaries are saying maybe he, at that moment, as they had the food and they were, they were starting to uh, prepare the food for, for lunch, maybe at that moment the crowd started coming from the city of Samaria and because they had heard from the woman about the Messiah, that he was there. And they started coming and they were walking and maybe he was saying, look, the, the, the fields are white for harvest. In other words, there are people that we need to serve. He didn't mean that he would never eat again. Of course he ate throughout the rest of his life physical food. But at that moment he was teaching a valuable lesson. The more important food is doing the work. You know, brethren, as we are finding ourselves in a time of uncertainty, in dangerous times, times when bills are higher, times when shelves are becoming empty, which this is unfamiliar in this country, times when inflation is increasing. There was just an article uh, report, I think, that we were reading last night that talks about how farmers are saying that, that prices will probably double around fall time because their expenses are going up and it probably won't hit the shelves until this fall. So it's going to get worse. And it can be distressing. But you know, Jesus fed the 5,000, didn't he? From just a few loaves. He can feed us. We need to be frugal. We need to be careful. We need to, you know, grow food if we can, etc. We need to be uh, tightening our belts. But maybe we need to pray more when we go to the grocery store. Maybe we need to ask God to direct our purchasing as we are in a time of inflation. Maybe we need to be more mindful where our food comes from. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? That's in Psalm 78, verse 19, if you want it. Absolutely. But we have to be mindful of who he is and where our food is coming from. You know, we are working, we are helping in the work, and yet our Efforts are so small compared to what God is doing. It reminds me of when, you know, our, our kids were small and you're out working in the garden and maybe you have that pry bar that you're trying to pry the rock out of the yard or maybe a, a shovel and you're, you're digging and you're, you're moving dirt and uh, your children want so bad to contribute. They want so much to help. And Daddy, can I help, you know, with the shovel? Sure. Okay, hang on to the shovel, and, and they're hanging on, and, and you're moving the dirt, but they're, they got their hands on the shovel, and they're actually sometimes getting in the way of the shovel. You know, it's hard to move, but, but they're helping, and they want to help. And you're doing all the work, but they feel good because you're teaching them to be involved. Do you sometimes get the feeling that that's the way it is for the work that we are doing that we're doing our best, we're doing all we can, but God is doing the heavy lifting. He wants us to keep our hands on the shovel or hands on the pry bar, but He's the one doing the heavy lifting. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. And yet we still need to do the work. <laughs> we still need to be involved in the work because Christ said so, and it's good for us, and somebody's going to do it. If not us, God will find someone else. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. 
Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My understanding is the, 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 the metaphor here is the yoke being a double yoke of animals that are used to plow and cultivate the ground. And we're under one yoke and Christ is under the other. Now, who's doing the, the, the pulling, brethren? There. It's Christ, right? We just have to keep up. Yes, we have to put our shoulder to the yoke, but he's the one that is really pulling. And he says it right here. You know, we are a part of a great work, the greatest activity and work on earth today. And that is not an overstatement. In whatever way we are involved, and it gives a tremendous sense of purpose, and it moves the fulcrum in our life. You know, maybe we're on our job. Maybe it's not a dream job, perhaps. Maybe it's it's just a job. But, you know, through that job, we are able to contribute to the work of God in this time, in the end time of preparing this age for Christ's return. That's a fantastic opportunity. Maybe we're at home working with our children and training them and we go through difficult times and the burdens seem overwhelming and sometimes it seems like, wow, I'm, I don't have any leverage at all. I'm, I'm having to say the same things. I'm having to wipe the noses to clean the bottoms and it never ends. And yet if we remember, we are part of the work. In what way? Well, we are training and molding minds of future God beings, and if the work goes on long enough, we're training individuals to be pillars in God's church, to be supporters of this work as well, to lend their shoulder to the work. Ladies, if you are at home with small children, is your work without leverage? Are you a part of the work at all? Absolutely. What if we're retired? What if we are in the the sunset of our life, so to speak? And we may feel like, you know, I'm lonely, I'm isolated, I, I can't get around as well, I can't see as well, I can't hear as well, I'm inadequate. Well, can you labor in prayer? Is that important? Can you pray about the work? Can you talk to our Heavenly Father every day? about what he's doing, about the most important activity on the face of the earth? Absolutely. The point is, brethren, the work gives our lives purpose and direction and strength. It moves the fulcrum. Let's turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4. I love, whenever talking about Nehemiah, I love looking at this passage here. Nehemiah, of course, was a, a leader of the Jews who came back to help rebuild the wall and restore uh, order in Jerusalem, and as we know the story, the, the, the building of the wall had languished for about 10 years. And he got everyone organized, and he got everyone inspired about what was needing to happen. And it says in chapter 4 and verse 6, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. What a beautiful phrase. The people had a mind to work. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they finished the wall in about 54 days compared to languishing for 10 years. Is there leverage in in having a mind to work, especially when it's God's work and he's behind it? Absolutely. Go to chapter 6 and verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it. Though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. I, I have to, I can't help but remembering when Mr. John O'Gwen 
when I was training under him and he was giving Bible studies and he would go through this account explaining the story of Nehemiah and he'd come to this part and I would love how he described it. He said, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, they said uh, to Nehemiah, come and meet us in the plains of Oh No. And he, he said, Nehemiah said, Oh No. Dead giveaway. Whenever they want to meet in a place like that, don't go, right? I I love Mr. O'Gwen. So verse 3, and he sent, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Wow, what focus, what clarity. In his life. And it gave him strength. Brethren, are there, do we have an enemy who is attempting to distract us from doing this great work? Absolutely. And you know what? He throws a thousand. He throws a million distractions at us. And as Mr. Wakefield has has explained in other messages, he, he doesn't care which distraction we take. He says, take any of them. I don't care. Just take anything that will take you away from what God wants you to focus on. But God gives us leverage if we're in tune with him and if we're doing what he sent the Holy Spirit to do. If we're being willing to be taught if we're willing to really come to know Christ and let him live in us And if we're doing the work that the Holy Spirit was sent to do, we can have tremendous leverage in our life. There's one other item before we stop, and that's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Just briefly touch on. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, Who dwells in you. Now, this is ultimate leverage. Not just getting control of human nature, not just improving our relationships, not just avoiding problems and conflicts, not just smoothing out our path in life, not just having more peace and tranquility and confidence in our lives, even in the end time. And not even just being a part of the work in this age, in the flesh, in this world, where this is all going, where ultimately humanity is going, is eternal life, right? But not just perpetual life in the flesh, but perpetual life in the spirit realm, in the glorified state. Now, think about this for a moment. In that state... We're not just talking about moving rocks in the ground, right, with a bar. We're talking about moving planets. We're talking about moving stars. We're talking about being a part of the God family, always subordinate to God in Christ, but having power in the glorified state to do things we can just not even dream of yet. Brethren, if if we get in tune with God, he moves the fulcrum until he's going to move it way off the bar. And we're going to have power like we have no idea. That's when the fulcrum really goes off the charts. And everything in this life will just seem like play toys. It'll just seem like a sandbox. I don't know if kids play in sandboxes anymore, but we used to. You know, this whole world will just seem like a sandbox when we enter the spirit realm. And what an incredible time that will be. Through the power of God's spirit, if we are submitting to what he's doing in our life, he's going to move that fulcrum. And he's going to be the one doing it. And ultimately, we'll walk right into the kingdom. God intends us, intends us to have an abundant and fulfilling life. He wants us to be in his kingdom. He wants us to grow in fulfillment and learn how to manage our life better and have meaning and purpose in our lives. 
The Holy Spirit of God in Christ is the vehicle through which we can do that to move the fulcrum.